Hello, everybody, and welcome to Preferred Return. I am uh, co-hosting or, or MC, guest emceeing, if you will, for, for Jeff Williams for the next couple episodes. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. I, we'll find out. Uh, but my name is Kale Skalrud, and I'm the CRO at Altvia. And I'm sitting here with Matthew Klein, who is a general partner, leading partner over at Sweater Ventures. I, I know titles are flying these days. Yeah, titles are flying. Uh, co-founder and chief experience officer. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Matthew. Uh, yeah, it's great, a, to, great to be here. No doubt. And, and very excited to, to have this conversation. I am pretty familiar with what you're up to, and I think it's, it's an extraordinary opportunity and, and something that the market's been waiting for. But maybe as like a point of departure, you could give us the scoop on Sweater and then maybe a little bit about the, the Genesis story and, and what you're up to and why the world is excited, let alone just me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Sweater Ventures is really, really exciting opportunity. You know, we're super pumped on it and uh, it's just been, it's been an awesome ride so far. You know, the, the genesis for, for Sweater is really opening this asset class for everyday investors. Um, you know, as our, our CEO and uh, original founder, Jesse Randall, kind of set out, he actually at first wanted to go create and start his own venture fund. And um, quickly saw that there were these accreditation rules and it was really challenging for the everyday person to get involved. And that really put a chip on his shoulder. And that chip on his shoulder led to him saying, you know what, I'm going to go create a fund that everybody can invest into. So, um, you know, obviously that's not an easy thing to do. There was a lot of uh, kind of navigating with the SEC and figuring out what path that we could take. And uh, eventually we found the right path. We worked with the SEC's um, FinTech Working Committee and uh, established a fund structure that worked to, to be able to take everyday investor money from both accredited and non-accredited. And um, yeah, we're really, really pumped on that. We've got you know, almost 60,000 people on the wait list today uh, that are super excited to uh, make their first investment. And, and essentially, the way that sweater will work is that um, everyday investors will be able to invest into sweaters fund, which is called the sweater cashmere fund. Uh, the fund is an agnostic fund that's investing in kind of consumer facing and consumer touching companies. Uh, so think about anything in your day to day life all the way through your 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 work life. It could be direct to consumer brands and products marketplaces, uh, consumer technology, all the way through SaaS products that you use, you know, in your office and whatnot. Um, yeah, we're just, we're super pumped on it. Uh, we're launching in about 60 days. So, Excellent. Oh, excellent. And I guess if I could put it in a sentence, you're trying to give the everyday retail investor access to venture capital investments, which is a pretty unprecedented thing. Exactly, exactly. You know, the thing about venture investing is that it's it's really been open to just a select few. Um, you've got to have really good relationships, connections, and you've got to have like the money to invest, you know, whether it's taking a position in a venture fund as an LP, or if it's investing directly into venture backed companies. And, you know, up until today, there really hasn't been any option for the everyday investor Sure, you can invest in equity crowdfunding platforms 
But the thing with that is a lot of those companies are today are not all venture backable. Um, so there are lots of different types of businesses from restaurants and bars and breweries to some technology companies that are truly venture backable. Um, and, and what happens is the average everyday person doesn't have the experience to go put that portfolio together. And that's why they want a fully managed experience and, and Sweater offers that fully managed experience. So our investment team does the due diligence co-invest alongside VC partners and only invests in venture backable businesses. Uh, we like to play in kind of early stage through series BC. And then we also do late stage secondaries. Got it. Got it. And, and part of my role, I guess, in this conversation will be to, to strip it down for the folks who aren't quite as familiar with our category. Cause I know that's a large chunk of our audience. So if I'm a retail investor today, there's, let's say my friend has a tech company. And it's, and again, but there's a connection there, right? Which is not always available. And he's raising, he's raising money and they're taking money from friends and family. I might have an opportunity to invest personally in that business. And I know that there's accreditation components around that as well. Accreditation, meaning I need to prove a certain net worth, a a certain amount of income to to actually be a candidate for that investment. But then there comes in like the actual diligence component. Like, how do I achieve a level of confidence, even though he's my buddy, right? right. And I trust him as an operator. Like, how do I, I, don't, I lack the industry acumen. Perhaps I'm, I'm not quite as familiar with finance to actually evaluate that investment and say, okay, this is a good or a bad investment. And then let alone think about how it fits into my broader portfolio, right? I've got a 401k that's invested in some stuff. Maybe I have a personal stock portfolio. Uh, I've got probably definitely have a crypto wallet of some kind. Yep. So there's that component, right? So I can direct invest directly into companies. And then the other side, I can try to take a position. So t- to avoid the big gap that I just explained in like the actual diligence and execution, the next thing to, to do would be, okay, I want to invest in a professional that does these type of venture investments for a living. And to do that, I would need to invest in a fund. And typically the, the big hurdle there or constraint is, is the amount of capital that you bring to the table, right? So it can't be like, hey, buddy, I'm comfortable giving you 10, 15, 20, you know, whatever it is, K, because I believe in you and we go way back. Right. Now I want to invest in a fund and they're going to say, cool, uh, A, there are no spots because right. everybody wants to invest in our fund. And B, if there's any chance we can get you a spot, we're going to need a $10 million check. Is that an accurate and- description? A hundred percent. You nailed it. And that's been the gate, right? And the average everyday investor hasn't had access to this asset class. And when we look at the modern day portfolio, we see a lot of evolution and the democratizing of uh, alternative assets, be it art with masterworks, be it um, what Titan's doing kind of in the hedge fund public space. Um, Obviously what Robinhood has done for micro investing and, uh, and many more. And we believe that venture capital is kind of this untouched space that that nobody's really gone after. And, and here's the thing. The average everyday person isn't going to bed at night saying, hey, I want to invest in VC, but I can't. But as soon as you explain to them what the historical returns look like and where a lot of the money pre-IPO is being made by traditional VCs, it's, it's definitely like an eye opener. Um, Retail investors want access. We're seeing it firsthand in the responses we're getting from our wait list uh, and early adopters and uh, what we're hearing in the market just in general. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I think, when was it like, was it earlier this year with like GameStop and Reddit and the kind of that whole movement? I mean, that was really a huge catalyst and a turning point, I think, with retail investors 
where they really kind of woke up and were like, hey, we want access um, and we're going to play this game too. And, uh, and that kind of noise and that momentum hasn't slowed down. Now, I definitely don't believe in investing in meme stocks and, you know, trying to like get rich quick by any means. But I think the, the, the important things that came out of that are the fact that retail wants access. Uh, so let's sure. give them uh, responsible ways to, to invest. And the cool thing about sweater is that it's not a get rich quick type of, you know, opportunity. You're not day trading here. You're not uh, buying and selling, you're investing into a VC fund that's deploying that capital. And it's a long-term investing strategy. Um, and we're really, really uh, clear with our um, our members, which are sweater investors about uh, that this takes time. Uh, yeah. it's, it could take upwards of, you know, five, seven, 10 years for these unicorns to, to grow into the, you know, great technology companies that they are. So I got it. And I totally agree that there's definitely a, a Zekist or like a cultural swell that's occurring where I, I, the average person, their financial acumen is night and day from what it was, you know, even two or three years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, they're talking about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying options. Exactly. <laughs> like, whoa. Like that's a pretty sophisticated thing to approach. Um, so I totally agree. And I, that's an amazing tailwind for, for what you're up to when it comes to like the, the, the concept of precedent. Right. I, I know yeah. that there, there's been some interesting spaces and in, in alternative investing, which we can, mm -hmm. I guess, loosely define as like not stocks, not bonds, stuff that's not liquid right. on an exchange. So real estate assets, yeah. um, private companies, of course, commodities to a certain extent. Uh, real estate has been a category that, that's kind of been democratized. Uh, you have things like evergreen funds that, you, that are publicly traded where you're kind of t buying a share of something on an exchange yeah. that gives you access to a, a private capital markets thing that's kind of rooted in alternative investments. So is there like a, a wake that you see, or is there kind of a trail that you're trying to follow? And if so, who, who are some of the groups that have, have spearheaded those, that stuff that, that you're excited about? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cadre is doing a great job in the real estate space. There's a few other folks that play in that space. I mean, I love, yeah. I mean, I, I think I like to think of this modern day portfolio that's made up of, you know, crypto, NFTs to a certain degree, you know, if that's something you're into. And then, you know, Titan, Masterworks, Cadre, uh, Robinhood, Wealthfront, Betterment, some of the modern broker dealers as well that are offering different funds. So there's a new way of investing. I mean, we're, we're literally kind of like in the middle of a financial like fintech revolution. Uh, and, I, and I think things are just changing the way that we think about money, the way that we think about investing and kind of building this shorter term liquidity strategy mixed in with a longer term strategy, like which gives opportunities for companies like Sweater to be able to go and, you know, build out a fund that, that could show returns to folks, you know, down the line in the future. So cool. And I guess in, in terms of your approach, so you had mentioned there's going to be some direct investing. You're going to be co-investing with some of the more established VCs, I guess. Can you tell us a little bit about your priorities and, and what you think are going to be really critical to success? Obviously, the traditional tent or poles in the tent, you might say, of, of a venture firm are yeah. you know, deal origination and, yeah. and access, as you had mentioned, yeah. diligence and actually underwriting these. And then, of course, visibility into the performance over time. So yeah. how are you thinking about kind of like the, the key areas of execution for Sweater? 
Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. So the way that we look at our deal flow is, is a multi-phased approach. So we co-invest alongside traditional venture funds. Uh, some of those funds, so Sweater, uh, Sweater Inc. is a venture-backed company as well. We just raised uh, a $12 million seed round with uh, Acuna Capital and uh, Motivate and a bunch of other amazing super angels that were in that round. So we'll co-invest alongside the investors that are invested in Sweater Inc. We're also building out uh, a co-investing strategy. Um, we have like 25 plus uh, co-investing partners now that we're looking at deals with. Uh, we'll write checks in some of those funds, actually, as we can take uh, part of our uh, total assets under management in the fund, we can actually deploy as LP positions in funds. Uh, and that helps us strengthen some of those partnerships. Um, so we're co-investing. We've built out a deal scout team. Uh, we have over uh, 100 scouts now across the country. Uh, these are folks that work at other VC funds, work in private and public markets, uh, in the banking and fintech industry and across multiple industries. Um, we're getting a ton of deal flow from this scout network. It's really, really exciting. And it's 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 really kind of flipping things on, on, on the head for us. Um, so really pumped about that. And then we'll be leading deals as well. I mean, we're kind of in the mix. Uh, our investment team has a lot of uh, experience. Uh, myself, Jesse and Chad, uh, have a bunch of relationships that we're bringing to the table. So we feel really great about the overall deal flow that that we'll be bringing in. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it's interesting too, because at Altvia, you know, we interact with tons of GPs and their customer is an LP, right? So, and most LPs are institutional groups, pension funds that have tremendous capital that they need to allocate. You yeah. have family offices as, you know, kind of a distant second which are representing, you know, typically the, the wealth of an individual that's managed by a team. And then you have high net worth. Yeah. And then below that would be retail, right? And up until yeah. this point, privates, private equity, venture capital has been yeah. available to institutionals, family offices, and high net worth. And if you look at kind of the experience, and we're all kind of being conditioned behaviorally by the technology that's around us, yeah. right? So Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Spotify, whatever. It's on our phone. It's real time. If we're looking at our portfolio in Robinhood, right, we're literally walking to lunch, pulling it up on our phone, real time visibility. And so that that's yeah. kind of the, the status quo for just general expectations for humans <laughs> nowadays. And if you contrast that with privates, it's usually a situation where, hey, I gave you a $10 million check be it on right. an in institution or family office or whatever. And I give you a buzz to see how the portfolio is doing. And most of the updates come in like a PDF format. I get them on a quarterly basis. Most of the time it's a quarter in arrears. So there's kind of a six month lag to actually understand where things are at. And yeah. that, that's very different than what like typical consumers are you know expecting. So I, yeah. in terms of like pillars and, and, uh, and as you think about experience, like how are you thinking yeah. about transparency? How are you yeah. thinking about mobile? And, yeah. and also as a huge point of differentiation, because why selfishly, why I'm so excited about Sweater is, is it's going to continue to pressure yeah. the old kind of legacy status quo where it's like, hey, I'm not signing into like a glorified Dropbox to look at a PDF, right? right? I, want a, I want a mobile app now that I can look at. So how's that stuff kind of entered your thinking? For sure. And, the, you know, being the chief experience officer, this is definitely kind of the, the world that I live in, right? Every, every single day. So 
the entire experience is, is mobile-based, right? So you'll download the mobile app. And, and our thesis is that we want to give everyday investors literally courtside seats to the game. We want them to be able to go into the locker room, meet the players, sweep the floor, truly introduce them to the world of venture and give them as much transparency as we can into what we're doing. So, um, and we'll do all this through the mobile app experience. Uh, so, so this is definitely something where the everyday investor, after they be download the app, become a Sweater member, make their first investment, they'll have access to what company Sweater is investing into. You'll be able to download and read information, see interviews with founders, understand why Sweater's investment team decided to make an investment. What do we believe in that company, that founding team, what their mission and vision is, You know what we like about those certain markets. Um, so all this content will live in the app. We're also really big on education. We know that a lot of folks in retail don't necessarily know about VC. Uh, so it's it's our job and we feel like we can truly become the thought leader to teach them about the world of venture. Uh, so we'll have an area in the app called Venture 101, where you'll be able to go through and learn the world of venture. Everything from like, what is a term sheet? What does it mean to be a series seed company moving to A, B, C? What is an IPO? What's pre-IPO? Like what all these different kind of aspects of the world of venture are. Uh, and that way we can educate our investors along the way. So I love content's love really key here. And transparency is very, very important to sweater and, and really building trust with our members. So and I guess just to put an exclamation point on that, like that's a level of visibility that is completely uncommon and privates today, right? Like totally, totally. A, a GP would never see an investment memo that details right. why why they're making this this investment or know the right. nuances of, of the elements of a term sheet. So that's yeah. like lifting the hood all the way, all the way up. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing I'll add, and you know, this is uh, again, and I know that there are GPs and, and investors that will be seeing this as long as well as, you know, kind of everyday folks, but a big thing for us is like, we want to give retail a seat at the table. Um, so by no means are we trying to like kick people out and change venture forever. It's really just about giving access to, to, to folks in retail. But one thing we do believe, especially with early stage companies, is that when you go to raise that next round of funding over the next 12 to 18 months, you're going to look at your cap table and you're going to say, which retail VC do we want? on our cap table because sweater knows it's going to have competition. You know, Kathy just launched, ARC is launching a later stage fund. Uh, there's going to be other folks that come into the space. So the idea that founders will want retail money, I think is happening. And I think it's a good thing for the market to, to give them that access. So totally. Yeah. And I, this might be a good time to kind of shift gears. Cause I, I think many would say that there's like a not very loud spoken, but kind of universally acknowledged thesis that public markets are more evolved, yeah. right? Like they're more liquid, they're yeah. more transparent, um, but they're also more regulated and other things like that. But the thesis then would be that, okay, public markets are here, wherever private markets are today is, is a little bit behind. And so that, that gap, that Delta will be closed over time. Yeah. And, and so I'm totally in line where it's the same in, a, in the commentary that you just shared, where, you know, you're looking at, a quarterly earnings right. document or, yeah. you know, some type of disclosure because that's how public markets operate. And the fact that privates don't just is because they haven't quite gotten there, but that's still right. an expectation and kind of an inevitability. 
right yeah. in the in the internet era people can find information if they want it right totally. no matter even totally. by by legal means they can get access to financial exactly. statements to understand how a company's performing and things like that but yeah. i guess do you believe that as well that like public mark like that there's a delta there that'll be closed over time and that things will get to a place where it's totally liquid transparent yeah, yeah that's it's it's interesting yeah i mean my personal opinion on the matter is that i think transparency is good for for the market i know that um there's been kind of like you said like a lack of transparency in private markets. I think that gap is closing. I think it needs to in order to create further liquidity options um, for private markets. As a society, we're getting much more comfortable with kind of private opportunities having the type of, of valuation where, where there is like liquidity options around that. You're seeing it with Web3, you're seeing it in crypto, you're, you're seeing what Carta's doing in the secondary market for employees that work for tech companies and whatnot that have stock options and things like that. So that's definitely happening. In order for that to happen, there needs to be more transparency into the underlying asset. So totally. that's just kind of like inevitable. And, and that's an interesting piece too, because I guess another component of, of privates or, or venture are the employees that have options and have shares in these private companies yeah. and they don't really have any access to liquidity, right? They can't right. monetize those positions until right. a new venture round happens or an IPO, yeah. but there's still valuations of those businesses that are occurring over time. So you can say, Hey, I was given this piece of paper that was worth 10 cents when I got it yeah. based on, on what the book is worth. Now, my piece of paper is worth a couple thousand dollars. I would right. love to take advantage of that, right? Like that's right. this whole other cohort that's there. And as you mentioned, there, there are folks that are going after that as well. And then there's kind of this element where companies are staying private longer. And there's some yeah. arguments around that, but you, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't see a series G round for $10 billion. That company would have right. IPO'd, right? Which would have been exactly. a liquidity exactly. event. The employees would have, you know, taken some yeah. chips off the table, so to speak. The public market would have gotten involved. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that fits in neatly too. And that, that's a really good point. And that's something we could have healthy debate on and, and just like talk about like in a whole other session is this kind of like private to public market transition. It's not always smooth. And it's causing a lot more companies right now to, to stay private longer, like you said, raising, you know, series G's and, you know, like much later stages. <laughs> what, what the record is. Yeah, it's probably like <laughs> right. you run out of alphabet letters. Yeah. I think a trend that we'll start to see over time as more retail investors get comfortable with private markets and where private markets have further liquidity options, I think you'll see a smoother transition there over time. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see what that does to the IPO market. Um, totally. You know, if, if folks are able to invest in earlier stage, if more, here's the question I would say is like, what happens over the course of the next decade if the average everyday investor now has opportunities to invest in the earliest stages of a company? Is an IPO like something they're going to be that interested in? I don't know, you know, so. Or will it even think, exist? Right, right. exactly. It's like you that know. will no longer, the, the, there will no longer be a distinction between public and private. It'll exactly. just be some exactly. type of container around ownership and, and some, you know, assumption around the value and then a marketplace to, to kind of transact <laughs> buyers and sellers. Exactly. So it's really interesting. Um, it is. It's an interesting know. time to be alive as it relates yes. to capital, you know, it's like, there's just yeah. so many macro trends that are converging. Yeah. Um, cool. So I guess 
An- another question for you. Yeah. So it sounds like up until this point, and I know that we've kind of covered a lot of ground, just kind of baked into that conversation. I was hoping to get your perspective on like kind of the guiding light and what's been happening in other elements like real estate and yeah. evergreen funds and things like that. Um, kind of the timing, right, which is a very common question during venture diligence, you know, like, OK, yep. product, market, team, why now? Yeah. You know, and I think we touched on why now and that you, you've navigated some of the regulatory elements and that you're feeling good and moving forward with that. Uh, we touched a little bit on the bets or like your view on kind of where the category more broadly is going to be moving yeah. and, and perhaps a little bit on how the incumbents will respond. But I, I just want to verify that you're thinking that because there is an incumbent in this situation, yeah, right? Totally. Uh, and it sounded up until this point, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you think that the, the established venture groups now are going to have a mostly positive reaction to this and that, okay, we have an opportunity to bring more capital to the table, which will generate yeah. more innovation, more you know, economic productivity, um, that the founder operators will kind of embrace it as well because they want to appeal to retail both as consumers of their product, perhaps, and just in the interest of transparency of what they're up to. Yeah. I, I just want to confirm that. Like, are you feeling that it's going to be pretty well received or do you think anybody's going to fight you here? Yeah. You summed it up really well. Yeah. Overall, that's how we feel. I think at the end of the day, of course, I'm sure we'll have folks that feel like we're quote unquote, stepping on their toes or, you know, coming into their space, but that's not our agenda. Our agenda is really just to, to kind of further open up access to everybody. Um, so sure, we, we may be met with some folks who are kind of like, you know, anti what we're doing, but I think there's enough folks that are excited about what we're doing that we can kind of navigate those waters. Also, at the end of the day, this is happening. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah, right. That's what, whether yeah. it's sweater <laughs> who knocks it out of the park here, knock on wood, like we feel really good about it or somebody else like retail is coming into the space. So it's more of like, let's create a bigger table where everybody can sit at and let's not kind of get hung up on. Sure. There's an element of like beat, beat them on the course. I mean, traditional venture funds are, are fighting for deal flow as it is today. So mm. I could understand where some folks are, you know, uh, from the incumbents kind of saying like, you know, oh, wow, this is just another person who's kind of coming into our, our space and our deal flow. But overall, I think we're getting really positive results. Uh, people, they, you know, like folks in the space, they, they see it happening and they want to be a part of it. What side of the story do you want to be on with retail? You know, and and I think most folks kind of want to be on the right side, which is like, let's give retail access to this kind of like, you know, gated asset class that that really has kind of only been for a select few over the, the past several decades. So for sure. By way of metaphor, you know, the tide is coming in. You can move your beach chair or not. <laughs> the tide exactly. is coming. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. And then to your point, like the main point of focus is obviously serving the end customer. Kind of yeah. The, the, the Amazon approach and then competing yeah. in the space, right? Competing for access to good investments yeah. versus yeah. like fear of, okay, how is this disrupting the mechanics? Because yeah. to your point, it's less about the, how the sausage gets made and more that, you're, you know, you're bringing back the best sausage. Exactly. Exactly. So. All right. So if it's cool, we'll kind of shift gears and, and perhaps get a little more personal. I find it's, it's always amazing, especially with, with leaders such as yourself to get in your head a little bit. Um, so with that, do you, is there a book that you have given away the most often or that would be your most highly recommended? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely James Clear, uh, Atomic Habits, I think is kind of like my number one book that I both love and and would give give out and have given out. Um, I think the way he breaks down kind of building uh, building these habits through micro habits. And, uh, it's just, it's awesome. I subscribe to that, like to the bone, it's the old show me your habits and I'll tell you your future. And it just hundred percent goes on and on defined by our rituals. I, I personally am, uh, that, that's something that I lean into in interviews, even, you know, like just tell me about yeah. your most, most important rituals. And if you get cross-eyed, like, okay, <laughs> next oh. question. And then that's usually yeah. For me, on just how that person approaches life and just the notion of habit stacking and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. totally with you. Uh, I'm trying to think too, like off as offshoots of atomic habits. There's definitely some thinking there in in Ray Dalio's principles, which is is kind of a adjacently associated. And uh, for those that find atomic habits interesting, another book triggers is pretty interesting too, which yeah. is definitely touched on in, in by James, and he has a really good blog too. Um, cool. All right, one more for you. If you could have one thing on a billboard, so imagine everybody has to drive down the same street on their way to work and there's a billboard that gets eyes from the world. What would you put on it? Yeah. Put one foot in front of the other, I think is right. on. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when you talk about challenges, when you talk about opportunities, uh, when you look at whether it's starting businesses, families, like whatever it is that you're doing in life. Um, can feel so massive and kind of just like unapproachable. But at the end of the day, the only way is to start taking those steps. And by taking steps, you've got to put one foot in front of the other. And when you put those steps together, that's when you start making progress. And that progress turns into momentum. And that momentum is what helps get you to your goal, get you to that next inflection point. Uh, So that's a big thing. I mean, just like, it, anything can seem monumental, but if you just put one foot in front of the other and start taking those steps, um, you're on your way. So totally agree. When I was a kiddo, I used to like just project so far out into the future. And then you, you just get, find yourself in those kind of tailspin moments, right? Where it's yeah. like, Oh, well. and then yeah. my mom used to say, you know, how do you eat an elephant, honey? Yeah. And the first time I looked at it, like, how does anyone eat an elephant? She's like, right. One, one bite at a time. One bite at a time. One bite at a time. And then there's an interesting element too, which kind of ties back to atomic habits of like the notion of like compounding effort. hundred percent. Right? And that being, you know, one of the, I can't remember Warren Buffett calls it like the eighth miracle of the world compounding yep. interest, interest, but it's, yeah, but it's the yeah. same application in everyday life. Just get 1% smarter, 1% stronger, whatever it is. Cool. All together. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's where the big returns are. Right. Which is back to probably the, the topic at, at hand here in general is, is generating yeah. exciting returns and then bring in access to opportunity and economic prosperity. So that's all very good. Well, I, I think we can go ahead and wrap. That, that sound all right? Well, man. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. This was awesome. And uh, hopefully everybody likes the story. And uh, if you haven't already, definitely sign up for the wait list at sweateradventures.com to learn more. And um, yeah. Outstanding. Awesome. Well, thank you again, sincerely, for, for hopping in here and spending thank time you. with us. And uh, for the record, I'm on the wait list. The updates are amazing. Right. And, and stay close to Sweat Adventures. They're going to do some exciting stuff. 